0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father, we do ask that you would speak, you would take your word, and by your spirit, address yourself to those here who are your people and to those who are not. You would draw individuals to yourself, perhaps for the very first time. Perhaps you will save someone here this morning. Perhaps, Lord, you will draw those who already are yours and have wandered or who are struggling or who are unclear or unsure about how to how to proceed ahead. Perhaps you will draw them along and and, and teach and convict and encourage. Do that individually. And then, Lord, as a corporate church body, would you, by working individually, would you work corporately to make us a, a church that is different, a church that is in pursuit of you by your means. A church that is a more accurate reflection of who you are and and what you are like, how you work in the world. We need your help for that, Lord. So would you speak, and would you change us? And I need your help, Lord, because I, I will be uh, in some way your mouthpiece this morning here, and so I pray you would guide me and correct me and, and keep straight the path that I lay out with these words. Illumine, illumine, Text before us, even illumine our own hearts that we would see how it applies to where we are and what we are. Lord, the, the task in front of us here this morning, what, what this passage is about, is something that I pray for myself in particular because I, I sense that I don't fully understand all the ways this applies to me, even. So I think there is there is going to be a need amongst your people here this morning, a, a particular need for you to to open our eyes to ourselves. So would you work, Lord, to drive us away from confidence in the flesh? To help us to think about it and to understand it, perhaps in some new subtle form that it has a hold on us individually. See, help us to see it and understand it and pry us loose from it and cause us to lean on you. Produce, therefore, a people that are happy and then holy, trusting in you and not in ourselves. We don't want to be a religious people, Lord. We want to be your people. We don't want to be people of, of a of a particular religious practice, we want to be Christians. And there's some paradox in that, I suppose, but Lord, you understand it, and would you, would you, I pray, move us as a people into faith. Use, use the passage here, Lord. Grow your church. Bring honor to your name. Make clear the truth cause Jesus to shine and speak, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Turn our attention this morning to Philippians chapter 3, where we have seen that Paul has just begun a new section of this letter. For a chapter plus or so, he was exhorting the church to walk as citizens worthy of the gospel began that end of 1 and moved through chapter 2 and then talked about some models of that lifestyle that he would be sending their way. And then he changed direction, as he came into chapter 3, to discuss threats to such a life. He has in mind, in particular, a certain type of false teachers who, who may become a danger to the church because they were a danger to all of the church throughout the Mediterranean. He expects they'll come around Philippi also, and so he wants to warn them and protect them. But before he turns particularly to that issue, he wants to drape over the whole final section of the book a single command to rejoice. looked at this last week, verse 1, chapter 3, rejoice in the Lord, and that last part of course is critical, in the Lord. Because Paul knows full well that these folks in Philippi, just like us, they face all kinds of disappointment and hardship, and yet he tells them to rejoice. They can do that. He can say such an audacious thing because they are in the Lord. They can have joy despite all the sorrow and hardship because they are in the Lord. And as they turn their minds towards and consider who Jesus is and what has happened to them since, he, since they were placed in him, they're, they're in Christ. And so as they consider who Christ is and what has happened to them that they become in Christ, they can rejoice because it is an awesome change of their reality. So much good has happened to them. In fact, that's why Paul is so concerned to guard the church from false teaching, is that he doesn't want them to miss out on that good. He doesn't want them either to to miss it all completely or to miss the experience of it, to miss the day-by-day walking in it. So he wants to warn them that he turns to talk about a certain group of people who would teach the church, who would teach Christians that they must keep the law of Moses beginning with circumcision in order to join and to remain in the people of God. In order to become a part of the people and to experience the blessing of God on them they have to keep the law beginning with circumcision. Paul addresses that and says that such men have confidence in the flesh. And obviously Paul's against that confidence in self, what self does. That's the problem. It's not the gospel. It's not what we're about. We are those, he continues on in verse 3, we are those who glory in Christ, who, who worship God the Father by God the Spirit. Worship, that is, in all of our lives, we are his servants by the power of the Spirit, glorying in Christ. That's who we are, not putting confidence in the flesh. So he's against that teaching, and he's going to go on addressing that basic problem by, in this section here this morning, verses 4 to 6, elaborating on what he means by confidence in the flesh, or confidence in self, we could say. We touched on it last week. He mentioned it, but he goes into more detail this week. And in a lot of ways, it's very important for us to understand this section to think closely about this section, but it's really only half the story. So in a lot of ways, as I was preparing this, and even as I'm getting ready to preach this, I feel like I'm preaching half a sermon. So you have to kind of realize that this morning, that what we're doing, and it's important to do this, is to look closely at 4, 5, and 6, about what he says there about what isn't to be, what we shouldn't be like, what, what he was like, what, how he did think, but we're looking at a negative, essentially, which he's going to immediately follow in 7 and following with, with the positive, with the opposite side, what we should be like, how we should be thinking, what we should be focusing on. But to take all of that in one sermon was too big, and so I've had to cut it in half. I, I will have to bring in some of the, some of the focus on Christ to, to make sense of this morning. But we are kind of preaching half the story. You need to know that to keep it in mind mainly an expression of the negative, what shouldn't be. So with that in mind, here's my main point for this morning that I'm going to work towards with three observations. Here it is in a sentence. Nothing about us helps connect us to God. So don't place trust in yourself. Nothing about us helps connect us to God. So don't place trust in yourself. I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 1, all the way through 11, because it does all kind of belong together. But then I'm going to make three observations from 4, 5, and 6. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs... that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verses 1 through 11, but we'll focus on 4 to 6. I'm going to make three observations, and here's the first one. Laying the groundwork for, for the other two. First observation, our great need and desire is to be accepted into fellowship by God. Our great need and desire, our great desire also, is to be accepted, with an A, accepted, into fellowship by God. Verses 4 to 6 obviously our focus on confidence in the flesh. That's repeated twice in verse 4, once at the end of verse 3. It's what Paul explains all throughout verses 4, 5, and 6. So naturally that's going to be our focus too. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that, as I said, most of the negative. But it's important that we back up a minute to remind ourselves of the context because while Paul is obviously against this idea of confidence in the flesh, he, he has a reason that he's against it. There's there's a reason that he's so moved and and so, I mean, passionate about this. It's because of what it would cost us. If we pursue it, we're going to lose something great. What we're all after, what we all want because we were made for it, is to be what Paul terms in verse 3, the circumcision although you probably never thought of it like that, probably never used that term. But what he describes there as true of Christians is what all of humanity was made for and is pursuing needs and really deeply wants. We discussed this a little bit last week, but basically that that little nickname, if you will, that short little title, the circumcision, became shorthand for the people of God, those who belong to God, those who are his people, claimed by him, That's the goal that's under discussion here in these verses. The thing that is to be attained or lost, it's it's kind of what's behind the whole discussion. To belong to God. To be brought near to him, to be brought into fellowship with him, accepted by him, to be his. And therefore, to be an object, perpetually an object of his immense Unfathomable promised blessings. To be a recipient, not just in in the moment and not just here and there, but forever and always a recipient of grace poured out on us, of the goodness from the omnipotent, omniscient God poured out on us. That's what we want and long for. To be one of His, to be an object of His grace. Recipient of his blessings. Verse 3, Paul says that we Christians, you believing Gentiles and me a believing Jew, we Christians together, that's us. We are the circumcision. We are gods. We are those who worship him in all of life as his servants, and we do so amazingly by the Spirit of God. Again, we talked about this a little bit last week, but don't miss that. That it's very easy for us, and I know I'm repeating a little bit of this because some weren't here because of the retreat last week. It's very easy for us to kind of breeze right through that because it sounds like so much Christian ease. We always talk about, you know, we do this by the Spirit, and etc. By the Spirit of God is saying that tremendous. Promised blessing. You remember the prophets talked, Joel said, In the latter days, I will pour out my spirit on my people. The the new covenant described as, I will put in them my spirit to move them to follow my decree. The longing for Moses that all of God's people be filled with the spirit. That has happened. So you serve, you worship God by the spirit. You have the spirit. Blessing of blessings. You, in you. Awesome. We have the Spirit of God at work in us to move us to follow His decrees. It's the blessing of the new covenant that has happened. He has so thoroughly accepted us, so thoroughly approved of us, brought us so close to Him that He actually has come to indwell us by His Spirit, which changes everything everything It actually is at work to change you, let alone all of the realities around you. To become a different person and to experience the presence of the good one, the presence of God. That's what we were made for. That's what we all long for. That's what we need to be one of his, to be accepted, to be drawn near into fellowship with him, actually indwelt by him, and that happened. How did that come about? Not because of anything in us. Not because of anything about who we are, not because of anything we've done, but only because of Christ, which is why, finishing verse 3, we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Because that thing that we want, that thing that we long for, that thing we need, be one of God's brought near and blessed by him has been accomplished by God in Christ crucified. That's the gospel, it has nothing to do with us. Those who put confidence in the flesh miss this. He talks about them. They aren't the circumcision, though they think of themselves as such. They aren't the people of God, though they think of themselves as such. We would miss that that for which we were made and we long for, we would miss it if we placed confidence in the flesh. We'd miss it in one of two ways. Either miss it completely or miss the experience of it. Miss it completely. That's possible. I don't know who I'm talking to, but it's possible that you are missing this, completely we are all born we all grow up in need of this but we all are born and we all grow up and you sit right now perhaps, I don't know who you are but perhaps still separated from God outside of this blessing and nothing about us, nothing we are, nothing we do nothing we could do can fix it can change it Tragically, unfortunately, so much religion in the world, every other religion in the world except biblical Christianity, says, well, if you do this, if you do that, if you do this well enough, if you hold your mouth just like so, then you'll be accepted by God. It's not true. What separates us from God is our sin, and no action we do can ever take care of our sin. Can never change the heart from which our sin comes. Something else outside of us that's not related to anything about us must happen. So perhaps you have for your life been relying on what it is that you do and and how, maybe how closely you attempt to follow after God, and you're missing something tremendous. However, I know that most of us sitting here, you are Christians, and I want to raise this issue for you. The rest of this sermon still applies to you. It's easy, I think, easy for Christians to say, okay, so what we're talking about is that you can't get saved by works. Thankfully, I'm already saved, so I can take the next 45 minutes off. this still applies to you. Deeply so. Because while you probably, assuming you're a Christian, you have not missed this completely, many of us miss it in our day-to-day experience, miss the, the beauty, miss the wonder of being accepted, drawn near by God and a recipient of his blessing. Because we interact with him, we attempt to walk with him, depending on me as we're going to see Paul say that that is that's all wrong. There's still nothing in us that makes us acceptable to God. There's still nothing in us that draws us near to him. Paul's going to elaborate on that in the next two points. What I'm trying to do right now is hold up in front of you something wonderful. That Christian You need to pay attention to what follows so that you don't miss this and lose the experience of it. You need, you were made for, you long for acceptance from God, the experience of him and his blessing outpoured on you. So that's right here on the table. Don't miss it. Keep listening. Nothing in us helps connect us to God. Which is where Paul goes next with the next two observations. Put no confidence in who or in what you are. Put no confidence in who or in what you are. Given the above goal, in in that context, Paul's adamant that confidence in the flesh is worthless, in fact, destructive, because it leads people away from God. But he wants to talk about it in two different ways. He's going to talk about confidence, which essentially, to understand confidence, is like trust, dependence, faith in the flesh. Confidence in the flesh. Two different ways he's going to talk about flesh. Who we are, who I am, and what I do, how I behave, what I achieve, how I perform. So, who I am, that's point number two, and what I do, point number three. Let's see where we're going here. Confidence in the flesh, verses four and five. Put no confidence in who or in what you are. We Christians put no confidence in the flesh, Paul says, though I have plenty of reason to do so, and if we were to play that game, I would win. I have more than anybody else. Here's what I mean. First, who am I? Well, in my personal history and in my identity, I have every bit of status you could want. If we're going to talk about being one of God's chosen, blessed people brought near. Some say it's important to get circumcised. These men are teaching that. Well, I was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law, from infancy. You're going to get circumcised when you convert? Big deal. I've always been circumcised, like the law told from my youth. And I am of the people of Israel. Technically, he uses a term that emphasizes ethnicity, ethnicity. I have Jewish blood, he says. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I can trace my lineage. You know, not all Jewish people can trace their lineage, especially after the exile. That all got all messed up. I can trace my lineage. I am of the tribe of Benjamin, and that's a good tribe in Jewish history. It remained loyal to Judah. Benjamin is the place where Jerusalem is. He's named after the first king of Israel, Saul, who, as we know, was not always good. wasn't always bad either. I'm a Benjaminite. I have Jewish blood, circumcised my whole life. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, which is not just like saying I'm a man's man. What he's saying is that I'm a Hebrew born to Hebrews, and we were very careful to keep ourselves Hebraic. In language and in culture, we we kept ourselves from being corrupted by the Gentile world. He's recounting who he is, and he's saying, you don't get any more Jewish than me, you don't get any more son of Abraham than me. You don't get any more object of God's blessing, recipient of the covenant promises than me. I have the right pedigree. He recounts that, and of course, he recounts it all in the context of meaning, And that didn't matter. That's what he means, of course, the context. It's all of no avail. Not that that's wrong in and of itself. Nothing wrong with being of the tribe of Benjamin. That's fine. Nothing wrong with being circumcised. That's fine. We talked about this last week. Paul himself would even circumcise Timothy because it was useful in some situations. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. The problem is placing confidence in it, trusting in that status, trusting in this is who I am, and therefore... I am accepted by God, drawn near, and a recipient of his blessings. I'm an American of a tribe of Lutheran, baptized when I was young. Which doesn't, of course, just apply to denominations of baptized infants. There are many people sitting in churches right now, maybe this one, and there are many people not sitting in churches right now who think just like that take out Lutheran, take out baptized when I was young, and put in baptized whenever, walked the aisle whenever, raised my hand at such and such an event, thinking of themselves as acceptable to God because they have a church background, they have the right pedigree. I was raised in such and such a church. You know who was the pastor of that church? Famous guy, X. So surely if I was there for a long time, I'm okay, right? Right? I was baptized and confirmed, and I never rejected it. Or I have a longer list related to their personal family. I have believing parents. I have missionary parents. I have a dad who was a pastor. I have an educational heritage. I mentioned this last week. I'm an ICS alum. I went to Wheaton, or at least Moody, and there's a Moody, there's a moody person here. So. And they let me in, and they let me out. (laughs) With a degree. I'm good, obviously, right? If there's anybody that God likes and anybody that God blesses, it's me. I have missionary parents, and I went to ICS, and I went to Wheaton, and, and look at me here, a member of this church. Duh. Now... It's possible that... It's possible you don't think like that, you yourself. But among us are some who think like that, and it is particularly dangerous when you grow up in the church. We find ourselves assuming. So, teenagers, middle schoolers, is this you? Are you thinking like this? Adults, are you thinking like this? I'm here. I don't openly violently disagree, so I'm obviously drawn near by God, accepted by him, a recipient of his blessings. He looks at me and he smiles, and I'm okay. Suddenly we think like that. Trusting in our personal status and in our pedigree and who I am. I'm one of these types of people. I'm one of them. I'm okay. Put no confidence in who you are or in what you are. He's no respecter of persons, and he doesn't welcome people or walk with people because of their race or ethnicity, because of their status or their education, because of their parents or their pedigree. Christians boast in glory in Christ and not in themselves, put no confidence in the flesh, because God in the gospel, God in Christ, is the only, the only thing that makes us acceptable to him and draws him near, draws us near. It is not because of who we are, it is because of who Christ is and because of who we are in Christ that makes God look at us and say, accepted to pour out his blessings on us. So this, this first confidence in the flesh, confidence in my status, in what I am and who I am, that first one I think applies particularly to us if we were raised in a church background, if we were raised in, a, in a, a cultural Christian background. The second one, though, the second type of confidence in the flesh, I think is more important and more confusing and more deadly. Let me move to the third observation. Place no confidence in what you've done or in what you do. Place no confidence in what you've done or in what you do. So verse 5, Paul is discussing his pedigree. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he says, and I took that and I ran with it in my life. So what he's doing here a little bit is saying something like if you talk about maybe I I apply to get into the University of Utah and I say first of all you think I'm going to get in I mean my last name is Rice my mom's name was Eccles <laughs> so I mean you think I'm going to get in and secondly I scored in the 99th percentile on the ACT and the SAT and I have a. Massive resume full of stuff I've done. Think I'm going to get in? That, that's what he's doing now. That's who I am as a person, and then this is what I have done. Look at, look at this. In regards to the law, a Pharisee. His life verse could have been, if he'd had this passage at the time, come out from them and be separate. If that was on his mind, he could have adopted that and macromated over his mantle because the root word behind Pharisee is the word for separate. The Pharisees were all about coming out from Israel to be separate. This is like two steps. Not just come out from the Gentile world, come out from amongst Israel to be separate. To really, sternly, clearly give focused attention to being holy as the Lord is holy. So Paul's saying, I'm a Pharisee. My life was about the careful, close study of the law of God to find out exactly what it says and exactly which pieces apply in exactly which situations and to exactly what extent. I was given to that serious study of the Word of God delineating everything about it and following it. And how zealous was I about it? Well, regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Some Pharisees were simply concerned about themselves. I was concerned about other people. And the nation as a whole, such that I would chase down these blasphemers who followed this cursed man, Jesus, to try to stamp out every impurifying, Delatorious effect in the nation. I'm going to wipe it all out myself. I'm going to do that. I'm so zealous for this law, so concerned that we'd be a purified people that I'm going to chase down blasphemy wherever it may be found. He's zealous and and regarding the law, blameless. Verse 6, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, which doesn't mean that Paul thought of himself as sinless. Because obviously the law repeatedly has stipulations and concerns with what do you do when you sin? Which sacrifices do you offer? What Paul means to say is that I got all of that exactly right. Not I lived sinlessly, but when I sinned, I offered the proper sacrifice in the right way at the right time. Always. Because I was really careful to know what it was and to offer the specific sacrifices when I specifically sinned to offer the general sacrifices that covered me generally, such that if you were to look at the law and look at my life, you would say, faultless before the law. It does it all. Go over my life with a fine tooth comb. I have. See if you find anything. You won't. Do you want to play the confidence in self game? I win. That's Paul. He saw himself very much like the rich young ruler saw himself when he came to Jesus. All of this I have kept since my youth. You realize he wasn't lying when he said that. Paul's not lying when he says this, he has been careful, exact, and zealous. That all seems remarkable. So, why didn't that leave Paul accepted into fellowship by God? Because, as Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler and his conversation with the Pharisees make clear, they were not blameless before the law in regards to the weightier things of the law, the things that concern the heart. And so all of this with great discipline and with great focus that orders life out here ends up leaving him as an unclean dog and an evildoer. Simply a mutilator of the flesh. Not the circumcision. Leaves him righteous before the law as seen with human eyes, but in fact outside of God's blessing. Missing the thing for which he's made. The thing for which we all long. Missing acceptance with God. And Paul sees that clearly now. Their hearts were far from God. My heart was, I was just like a whitewashed tomb. I look good on the outside, but I'm dead on the inside. Paul sees that clearly now. I, you, We can't do anything to make ourselves accepted by God into fellowship with him and to make ourselves, we can't do anything that that makes us recipients of his grace and of his blessing. What we do is the problem. Who we are is the problem, not the solution. Nothing to do with what we do. It's all with what Christ has done, which is why, again, we glory in Christ. Christ crucified on the cross. What he has done is what covers me and makes me acceptable before God. If you're not a Christian, please hear that. Not just because of your pedigree, we've already set that aside, but even because of your performance. Your performance also fails to bring you near to God. You must trust Christ and what he has done. That's true for those of us here who are not yet Christians. But again, I know I'm speaking to a larger group of Christians, and we need to be really honest about something. I can't put percentages on this, so I, I won't try, but I'll say a large part. I think a large part of modern evangelicalism is little more than organized confidence in the flesh. I don't know what percentage. 10, 20, 40, 50, I have no idea. But some large part of what passes for evangelicalism is functionally little more than organized confidence in the flesh. Because what we lead with when we talk to each other in the church, what we lead with is discussion about summoning to accountability in regards to performance. Now, I immediately need to draw a line right here. Because are we called to be holy? Indeed, indeed. Are we called to obey? Yes, absolutely. And so I do not mean to say, and I want to very quickly counter and be extremely clear about I am not saying that obedience is irrelevant, it's very relevant. What I am getting at, what I am attacking, is confidence in that obedience to make me acceptable with God and a recipient of his blessing. To be accepted by God into fellowship with him and therefore to have his smile come out on me and and his grace poured out on me, I must do and if I do, if I perform, if I achieve, if I perform these certain things, these, these rites, if I am, let's say, if I attend a church regularly and give my money regularly, I'm picking some of the superficial things, then God's pleased with me, right? Let's move to another level. If, if I study my Bible regularly and if I pray consistently, then, then God will bless me, right? <laughs> And if I do everything I can to to grow up my kids in God's way, then he will bless me, right, and and grow them up to be the right kind of kids, right? He has to because I performed properly. It's confidence in the flesh. It's all over the church. This is the part where I I prayed in the beginning. This is so hard to, to notice and so hard to draw out, even in my own life as I look at myself, so it's very difficult for me to talk about Others, generically. So I'm, I'm praying the Spirit will take something here and make sense to you. This is all over us. We preach from the pulpit even, let alone in our own minds. We preach moralism, behaviorism. We tell our kids, do the right thing because you're Christians. Are they supposed to do the right thing? Yes. But so often what comes out of that is just performance. And we miss the whole way that that performance happens when we preach grace to the heart and we change from within and out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We skip the heart and we go right to the behavior. And we think, if I can make the behavior conform, if I can be a Pharisee, blameless before the law, I'm good, God accepts me and he blesses. No! Now, I say that, I got a little carried away there. I said it with an elevated, because I don't only want to say no, I want to say no also. Because some of the church of this amorphous group that I don't know how big it is, but some of the church that places confidence in the flesh does so very deliberately, very openly, and needs to be no, not the gospel. Leave the people of God alone with that. And some other portion needs to say, no, oh gosh, give yourself a break. Would you enjoy the grace and the goodness of God? Please, please rest. The answer behind both of those is because you are already accepted. Because you have already been drawn near. And ironically, when you try to perform yourself into acceptance, you're running away. That's the thing that, to say sternly to some people who are encouraging running, and maybe softly to people who find themselves wandering lost. I don't know who you are. I have no idea how much one group is in size compared to the other, but there is a problem in the church I don't just mean in this church although it's I'm sure here too there's a problem in the church where we i think meaning well have reduced the christian life to performance and then we evaluate our standing with god based on how we're performing So we walk in the flesh and then place confidence in it. That's a problem. It's not the gospel. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Are we to obey? Absolutely. But our obedience isn't to make us accepted into fellowship and blessed. It is driven by, hear this please, our obedience is driven by, it is created by faith in the God who has accepted me and is at work in me to will and to work according to his good pleasure. I turn to him, I read the word, and I find out that's what I'm supposed to do. And if I then skip God and set about doing it, I have turned to the flesh. But if I read the word and I say, that's what I'm supposed to do, and I turn to God and say, oh, I don't. Or I don't perfectly. I wish I did more help me would you open my eyes to see the goodness in this and the goodness of you the god behind it who would command it and to believe that you will be at work giving me strength in my hands as i step out trusting you to meet me just on the other side of what i can see i can see this far you will meet me just on the other side of that to sustain me and carry me forward because you always deal with me in grace. I'm not going to perform to get you to deal with me in grace. I'm going to believe that you do deal with me in grace. By faith, I will then step out in obedience. It is the obedience of faith. That's how Paul begins Romans and ends Romans, both. Obedience is critical, but obedience is not to make me acceptable. It is because I am accepted that I can trust him to work in me and to sustain me in my obedience. There is so much, I, I don't mean to just make, make some kind of, uh, of flippant statement here. Sometimes we contrast, you, you hear people talk about Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, depending on what context it is, of course it's a religion. So I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to go into that discussion, I'm going to leave that aside and say, Considering religion as a performance that attains, as all of the world's religions are. Christianity is not a religion. But unfortunately, because that is so human, we perform so as to attain. That's why all the human made religions work like that. It comes natural to us, that's how we think since we've fallen, because that comes so naturally to us, we, unfortunately, as Christians, attempt to walk out our Christian faith as a religion. Look at that in your life. Look look for it in your life. I wish I could be more exact. As I said, I'm trying to look at it in my life and find it in me. I find it in places where I think, to be real honest with you, I, every, every Saturday night, I'm saying, oh God, i got to preach tomorrow. Oh God, i got to preach tomorrow. Help me. And then what I do? I start looking back through my week and thinking, where have I sinned? Where have I sinned? Where have I sinned? And I start repenting. And then I realize, should I repent of sin? Of course is it entirely appropriate that, that, to think that sin creates a barrier with God that I wouldn't remove? Yeah, of course. But the reason I'm doing this right now, why am I doing this right now? Is so that he'll bless me tomorrow. I'm very religious. <laughs> you are too. I don't know where. That's the tricky part is it i don't know where must i repent of course yes 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 must we obey yes of course But what you must watch for is the the very human tendency to place confidence in the flesh and to think that if I do right or if I sort out what is wrong and thereby do right, then God will be pleased with me and then God will bless me. In other words, I'm going to earn this. It is a works righteousness. It is a dependence on self. and It is not the gospel. It's false. It does not bring God's blessing and it doesn't change you. And it leaves you missing, way back to the first point, the thing we're all after. Communion with God. The joy of walking with Him, experiencing Him. Ironically, that's what we want, and we set it aside and try to get it. Place no confidence in what you've done or in what you do. Place no confidence in who you are or what you are. And where Paul goes with this, obviously, is place all confidence in Christ and in who he is and in what he has done. For his sake, I have regarded all of this, I see it now as rubbish, pointless. Not wrong, just not the question. It's all about Christ. So brothers and sisters, Christians, I'm talking to Christians here, Turn your hearts towards Christ. Don't preach to yourself mortalism. Preach yourself Christ. Don't preach yourself obedience. Preach yourself Christ. And as that changes you, you trusting Him, you captured by Him, you renewed in your mind by Him, you will be transformed. What will come out of that is obedience and repentance and a walking with Him that is right and pleasing. Of course. Of course. Because we live out of the heart. So there's nothing in us that contributes to us being joined to God, so we shouldn't trust ourselves. But there is everything in Christ that joins us to God. So we should trust him. Let me pray. God, there's complicated stuff here in in this material, some of which I don't understand. So I pray that you would take what, what I have tried to think about and tried to communicate and that you would draw out the truth and effectively communicate it to individuals who sit here even right now and that you would work in them to change them how they need to be changed by you. That is our hope, Lord, that you would be at work to build your people and to build your church that individually, Lord, as we sang earlier, that you would speak to your people and draw them after you for your glory and for their good. Give freedom, Lord, to those who are are running like hamsters on the wheel trying to please you. And give restraint and conviction to those who are deliberately teaching them to do so. Help us to understand your grace and to, by faith, walk with you. Grow in us, then, obedience as we trust you. Change us on the inside that our outside performance would be different. We look to you for this, Lord, and trust it to you. Thank you. Amen.